even though they don't spend a lot of time with their mom, they do have a mom. Right. And they love her. Yeah. And there's nothing that I'm going to do that's going to change that. I am never going to be their biological mom. You're listening to the Nacho Kids Podcast, where we discuss all things step family related, real stories, real people, real help. Your hosts are the creators of the Nacho Kids Method and the Nacho Kids Academy Step Family Coaching Team, Lori and David Sims. Welcome to episode 234 of the Nacho Kids Podcast. Today's podcast does include discussion of sexual abuse. And I do want to say that all of our episodes have something to do with blended families or the family court system. But this episode, we talk a little bit more about other things. We do talk about blended family things, but we have learned that when we talk about stuff that we hadn't planned on talking about, that is exactly what someone needs to hear. So we hope you enjoy today's podcast with a stepmom who's been blending for 10 years, and she has two stepdaughters, no bio kids, but she actually considers her stepdaughters hers. Let's get to listening. Today, we have stepmom Tara. Hey, Tara, how are you? I'm great. How about you? Doing well. Tell us a little bit about you and your blend. Yeah, so we have been blending for, gosh, over 10 years. Wow. When my husband and I started dating. So, but we've been married almost, almost seven. Okay. So it's been a while. And how many stepkids are in the picture? So I have two stepdaughters and they're teenagers, 18 and 15. Ooh. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So they were pretty young when you met them. They were. They were. In fact, like our youngest, what she was still four, hadn't quite turned five and a bit of a baby from, from how I remember it at that point. She felt like a baby in the sense that she was just very, very innocent, very young and called me mommy on our first date. Oh my (laughs) gosh. Did that not scare you to death? It did. It did. But they were so both of them were so charming and sweet and totally bamboozled me that, uh, you know, I stuck around clearly. Yeah. So where's mom (laughs) in this picture? Yeah. So I think that's what makes our story a little bit different. So when my husband and I started dating, we waited probably three months before I actually met the girls and we were in love and we were serious. So Mm -hmm. I met the girls I knew very little about the ex-wife at that point and met the girls and things were going really well. They were very open to me. And then slowly we started to see the unraveling of um, bio mom, starting with just her telling my husband after we had been dating a few months, she said, or after I had been even, you know, introduced to the girls a few months later. She said, you know what? I'm, I don't want to be a mom anymore. Um, they're, they're yours. You take care of them. And my husband was devastated because he thought I would run screaming. <laughs> we had a trip to New York planned. It was our first trip together. It happened right before that. I don't know if she was strategic about that. And it, it sure felt like it at the time. And um, yeah, so bio mom started to unravel from the very beginning. Come to find out a few months after that, that she was diagnosed bipolar. And so we've had a tremultuous 10 plus years of she's in our lives. 
she's out of our lives. She's in our lives. She's out. So it's, it's been, it's been a huge struggle. Okay. When you said that she said, I don't want to be a mom anymore. They're yours. Mm -hmm. That broke my heart. I don't understand. I know. It's awful. It's awful. And then for the kids, Mm -hmm. uh, it's, yeah. Yeah. And, and what makes it really hard for the girls and thank God they have a good counselor and, and they're working through hopefully some of these things is that that that's happened to them multiple times where in fact, the, the more recent one was, uh, I guess it was about two and a half years ago, just a couple of weeks before Christmas, their mom had taken them out to dinner because she, she has more of uh, the rights that a father would you know, in the sense that for a while she was just doing weekends and every once in a while a dinner on the week during the week. Mm-hmm. And uh, so a few years ago, she had them for dinner, dropped them off early on her doorstep and said to the girls, like, I don't even want to see you for Christmas. And it was just devastating, devastating for the girls, devastating for us as a family. It was one of those things where you just want to take their pain away yes. and there's nothing you can do. Nothing you can do now. Yeah. Oh gosh. Um. I know. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to say. Well, at least she's got a reason. It's because she's bipolar. But well, I know. At least there's a reason. I don't know any other way to say it. I know. I know. And and I think that that's what we really struggle with is that I want to have empathy for a mental health disorder. I mm-hmm. certainly. I certainly do. And I I have worked very, very hard on forgiveness and empathy with their mom because Lord knows I have, I have had some anger and resentment built up over the years, but slowly I've been letting that go. It's hard to know what's bad behavior and what is a mental illness right? and what, where, and where do they cross and where do they overlap and, and how much sympathy do you have? And Oh, yeah. it's exactly, exactly. Because it's, there have been times where I, I've thought to myself, she better not show up face to face in front of me anytime soon. Cause I'm not a fighting woman, but there have been times <laughs> I have. You wanted to bust out some redneck know, on her, didn't you? <laughs> that's right. That's right. I just, you're just, and I've never felt that way before in my life. I've never, you know, I'm not, I'm not one to pick a bar fight, mm-hmm. but I'll tell you what, if she would have showed up to the wrong bar on the wrong night with me there. <laughs> I just, like I said, I'm, I've been working through some anger and, and resentment. It's been, it's been very difficult. Yeah, I get it. It's definitely not easy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now my sister was bipolar. Okay. And it's hard mm. to deal with. And I know some people We'll have highs for a few days, lows for a few days. With her, it could change multiple times a day. That's right. And I would be on the phone with her, and she would be like, I love you. You're the best sister in the world, and you do so much for me, blah, blah, blah. And then 15 minutes later, she's like, I hate you and wish you were dead. Mm. Mm -hmm. And you're like, wait a minute. Yep. And, you know, we talk about stepmoms taking things personally. It's kind of the mm-hmm. same with dealing with somebody with bipolar. You shouldn't take it personally. But how right. do you not? She just said she wished I was dead. Mm. The things that she has 
likely said to the girls that I don't even know about. Right. You know, I mean, we know some things, but, you know, I think the girls hold that pretty close to the vest. I, I hope they talk to their counselor about it, but they still want to protect their mom. Yes. They she's still, still love mom. their mom. She's still mom. It's almost like kids that are abused, they still love that parent. That's right. And I never really understood that, I guess. I was in a domestic violence situation at one point, and I always thought somebody laid a hand on me. I'm done. I'm Mm -hmm. done. Mm -hmm. I kicked into battered women's syndrome or something. I don't know what it was, but I just wanted it to be fixed. I wanted it to be okay. And I was really surprised how I reacted to that situation. I can totally relate to that. I bet most women can, even if they haven't been in a full domestic abuse situation. I think that sometimes we are faced with situations that could be somebody makes a sexual advance or an inappropriate comment or is aggressive to us physically. I have been in a situation where I have also... It's almost like you don't know yourself. You can't even believe that you reacted the way that you did. So I can so relate to that. Mm -hmm. And I know this is completely off base regarding blended families, but I'm going to share this because I haven't shared it. And I feel like since we're talking about this, that it's important to share. Mm -hmm. I was doing physical therapy. Um, I've somehow messed my knee up. We think it's from like an injury I had when I was eight. Mm -hmm. So I had went to this physical therapist that I knew. And he had some people helping him, like assistants. And Mm -hmm. so they would put, you know, tell you some of the exercises to do. When you got finished, they would tell you the next thing to do kind of thing. And they would put the TENS unit on you and the ice Mm -hmm. pack. Mm -hmm. Well, I had went the first time, and there was this guy there that actually knew my husband. And from karate classes and stuff from years Mm -hmm. ago. And he had said some things that kind of made me uncomfortable. Mm Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, he's a big flirt. Mm-hmm. And he made one comment. Um, I was doing one of the exercises. He's like, looking good, looking good. Just the way he said it, you know. Yeah. And uh, he said, don't tell David. And I said, David knows. You know, thinking, come on, dude. I mean, just mm-hmm. with my response, I was hoping he'd be like, oh, I shouldn't talk like this to her. Right. So anyway, the second time I went back. I didn't see him when I walked in. I was like, oh, thank God he's not here. That should have been my warning. You know, mm-hmm. that he had made me so uncomfortable the first time, but he didn't do anything really inappropriate. Mm-hmm. Well, the second time, he decides when he's putting the ice pack on my knee that his hand needs to move up my leg to a certain body part. No. Yes. No, 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 no. And Mm -mm. I'm thinking, what in the world? And then he did it again. Mm. And it wasn't just, oh, you know, kind of brush up against you. It was more like pressure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I messaged a friend. I didn't say anything. I froze. Yeah, because you didn't even, you can't expect something like that. Right. And then you're like, did that really just happen? The first time you think, Mm -hmm. dude. Made a mistake, you know, watch what you're doing. Mm-hmm. The second time, right. you're like, you are a pervert. Right. And there's other people in the room, but the way he was standing, nobody could see. Mm-hmm. So I texted mm-hmm. a friend of mine, and I said, I need to talk to you in 10 minutes. 
She's like, mm-hmm. are you okay? I said, no, I'm not. I need to talk to you in 10 minutes. So mm-hmm. as soon as I could get out of there, I called her and I busted out crying. Oh my gosh. And I am not a crier. I'm really mm-hmm. not. I mean, you know, unless it's something bad. Mm-hmm. And so I was telling her and she said, you need to stop. And I said, what do you mean? She said, I know you. You were saying, what did I do to cause this? Oh, I know. The first time he did it, should I have said something then? She said, then you're like, well, did it really even happen that way? Did I misunderstand? Mm -hmm. She said, stop, because your reaction is telling me what happened. Yeah. So needless to say, I came home and told David. And Mm -hmm. I had to stop him from going to kill this person. Right. And I decided that we knew this doctor and that we owed it to him to tell him what happened. That's right. What happened? Well, the doctor, he's like, you know, I'm not saying you're lying, but I just find that hard to believe. He's such a good guy. I said, mm-hmm. dude, I'm telling you, I have felt mm-hmm. more comfortable in a gynecologist's office. Mm-hmm. If that tells you anything. I mean, that mm-hmm. ought to put it into perspective for you. And I mm-hmm. said, and I can also guarantee you, I'm not the first person he's done this to. That's right. So he, he kind of heed and hawed a little bit. And I, I said, look, I'm not telling you you have to do anything, but I'm telling you I'm not coming back. Yep. And so I decided not to go back. You know, it took him three months to fire him. Mm. Now, I know he was in a situation where he didn't have any other help, but I would mm-hmm. not have risked my business. I know. And and what's so disturbing about that, I, I've had a similar situation in a work experience. What I'm, what disturbs me the most, or well, there are lots of things that disturb me, but it's almost like you're not believed. Right. You're, when you and and that is just it's awful and i get why women don't, don't come forward right i yeah. get, i get it i get it i 100% there's nothing get it. worse there's nothing worse than building up all of your courage to say something and then have someone say to you well i just can't believe that i just can't believe that about that nice that nice guy right i yeah. had i had a very similar situation in fact my boss said to me, well, it's, it's going to be your word against his. Mm-hmm. So you can just think about that. And I'm like, what? Is this guy really saying this to me right now? You yeah. know, it's just. And that's completely, so I, your boss and this guy handled it completely wrong. Oh my gosh. Completely wrong. And not surprisingly, not long after that, I found out that this guy that had inappropriately touched me was a coach at a school for soccer for girls. Oh no. And they in, were investigating him for inappropriately touching the girls. Oh my god. So, I reached out to the school district and I said if they need any support. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't report this to the police, but it's not too late I can. Mm-hmm. I've got documentation of it, you know, just from the text messages. And stuff. And I said, um, Mm -hmm. but I don't want those girls to think they did something wrong by telling on him. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh, it's just, it's just, it's just awful that almost every woman has a story. Yeah. And how heartbreaking. Yeah, it is. And, and we don't talk about it. I mean, this happened over a year ago to me and Mm -hmm. I was embarrassed. Yep. Ashamed, I guess. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And even my reaction to it surprised me. I mean, mean, he touched me through my clothes. It wasn't like Mm -hmm. being raped. 
Right. You know, so I can only imagine what someone that's been raped has gone through. Right. And, you know, David, he was shocked too. He said, I can't believe you didn't punch him in the face. Yeah. I'm like, me too. Yeah. But you're, you're caught so off guard that you're, that you do freeze. Maybe that is our natural survival instinct that Mm -hmm. the first thing we do is freeze. Well, they say it's fight or flight and now it's freeze. Yeah. And I had never heard of freeze. Yeah. And that's what happened is I froze and it just, um, it startled me and it threw me for a loop. And what's even worse is when I had to go to a different physical therapist, I'm thinking, I don't want to, I'm afraid to go through this again. Mm-hmm. I bring this up because I know there's somebody's listening that has had yep. the same thing happen at a physical therapist or a chiropractor or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they were afraid to tell somebody. I know. Tell somebody. Mm-hmm. And I did right. tell all of my family members, you know, including David's family, don't ever go there. Mm-hmm. Now, yep. granted, the guy's gone, but, you know, it took him long enough. <laughs> well, and, and even the way that he handled that is all you need to know about the physical therapist that, you know, didn't do anything right about the situation, right? Like, I, I'm not going to a physical therapist like that. Yeah, exactly. So... For all of you people out there that have had this happen, you're not alone. Mm. It's okay to talk to people about it. Mm-hmm. And we need to make it okay to talk about. Yeah. And to trust your gut. And if your gut is telling you, I don't like the way that person looks at me, talks to me, and God forbid, you know, touches me, mm-hmm. that trusting your gut is so important. Yes. So important. And I don't understand why I didn't trust my gut, Mm. you know, after that first time, because that's usually I do. I trust my gut a hundred percent. Maybe it was because I felt like David did know him. Mm -hmm. Well, there's that. And I think that I don't know if this was the first time that somebody's ever crossed the line with you, but I know for me, like when it was the first time somebody had crossed a physical line with me. I just had never been put in that situation before. I couldn't believe what was actually happening. Yeah. So in your situation, like, of course, you're you're questioning it. You're like, did I just really experience that? Because that seems unbelievable. I can't believe the nerve of this guy because he was testing you. Yes. He did it once and he was like, oh, she didn't say anything. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go ahead and do it again. Right. Now, when he went to go remove that ice pack, I I bent up like a turtle and I was pulling that thing (laughs) I was like, you're not touching me, dude. You're not touching me. No. Oh, man. I'm so sorry that happened. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And I don't know even know what got us on that subject, but it's important to talk about those things. Absolutely. Totally agree. And I'm glad that you have, or your husband has, your stepdaughters in therapy because they need it dealing with the stuff that Baya Mom has said to them. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. So back on the blended subject, again, I don't know Mm -hmm. what made me go down that road, but somebody needed to hear that. (laughs) I agree. So there's no consistency with Bio Mom. uh, My my saying about her is the only thing consistent about her is her inconsistency. The only thing that has gotten better is that after her last manic episode, which was a big one, and she even left the state, we really took over for 
obvious reasons, we, you know, Mm -hmm. took over full custody. And that was such a blessing. The few months she was out of the state, I could, I felt like I could breathe. Yeah. I felt like I could relax. But where I was going with this is like, so she came back a few months later. I was devastated. The girls were not. They were happy she was coming back. But the the good news is that they really spend very little time with her, mm-hmm. which I think is a good thing. But she lives about 20 minutes away. I can count on two hands how many times they've gone to spend the night there in the last two years. So they're, they're safely in our custody. And, and because of that, there is consistency. Finally, the girls are old enough to tell us when things aren't okay. Cause that's the other hard thing. I'm sure a lot of stepmoms can relate to when you are sharing custody and you're sending these sweet children away to, you know, a toxic person. Mm-hmm. You're just praying that they're going to be taken care of, but there's not anything you can do. Exactly. There's not anything you can do. And so there were years where there wasn't anything my husband and I could do when they would go see their mom and spend time with her. And that, that was really hard. That was really, really hard. I know sending my son to my ex was very, very hard. Mm. And not that he's bipolar, but just mm-hmm. wasn't necessarily the best environment. Mm-hmm. And like you said, there's nothing you can do. Nothing you can do. You just pray for the best. Yep. And I tell you what, my relationship with God got a lot stronger during that time. Mm. Because that's all that. I could do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now that your son is older, I would imagine it's different, right? Now that you know, he can communicate to you exactly what's happening or tell you if something is wrong or. Yes. Yes. I remember there was a time that, remember when everybody had the iPods? Mm-hmm. No, no, that's not right. It, it was yeah. like the size of a phone, but they could play games on it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So I would go on the little farm game. I had an account and that's how we would talk. Mm-hmm. Oh, because his dad wouldn't yeah. want to talk to me. Oh, my God. So we would communicate through the chat on the little farm game. Okay. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. But what was so hard about that is if he did tell me something, I couldn't bring it up. Yeah. Because if I did, he'd get in trouble for telling me. Yeah. So, but yeah, it's so much better. Once they get their own phone, or better yet, mm-hmm. once he was able to drive I felt a lot safer because if he was in a bad situation, he could leave. That's right. Yeah. And yeah, I know um, with your situation with the stepkids, they, they're they a lot older now, but mm-hmm. I can't imagine. Were y'all ever afraid that she would take them? Uh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> we had one really scary incident where she was, she was clearly having a manic episode and showed up on her doorstep. And wasn't in her right mind. And um, my husband decided to go out and try to calm her down, talk to her reasonably. The girls were scared of her at this point. And she said, I, the girls and I were like listening from upstairs and we're all kind of freaked out. 
And she said, well, I just want to talk to the girls. Just let me see the girls. I just want to talk to them. So once she wanted to talk to them, I decided, well, I'm going to go downstairs now and be as close as possible without interfering and just kind of listen behind the door. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I heard her say, I just want the girls to get in the car. I just want to talk to them in the car. I flew out that front door (laughs) faster (laughs) than I knew I could move. And I got my body in between myself and the girls. And I was like, over my dead body, are you putting them in your car? Absolutely not. And then she just started freaking out, going off on me. Well, my oldest daughter (laughs) ran around the side of our yard, jumped the fence, got back safely into the house while she was kind of grabbing my youngest. And uh, I told the girls after that, eventually things calmed down. We convinced her to leave. But I told the girls after that, I said, if that ever happens again, I am going to call the cops right at the very beginning because I, I almost did. I almost called the cops. The girls begged me not to, they were, they were afraid, but they're, they still want to protect their mom. They still want to protect her. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's, the struggle is real. And you know, the thing that really changed for us was when the girls became teenagers and their mom did come back to the state and she was seeing them There was a big shift in my relationship with them. And I think uh, just like you talk about with with other step parents um, in this podcast, you have to be willing to change as the children grow and change and mature Mm -hmm. because things that worked for you previously, then they no longer work. And that's, that's really where my husband and I found ourselves this summer when I found Nacho Kids. I think the dynamic just wasn't working anymore. And the girls are teenagers. They want to do their own thing. Even though they don't spend a lot of time with their mom, they do have a mom. Right. And they love her. Yeah. And there's nothing that I'm going to do that's going to change that. I am never going to be their biological mom. Mm-hmm. And as much as I, I almost convinced myself of that. And it wasn't until I found Nacho Kids that I was like, wait a second. Like, it's almost like I had been brainwashed into thinking that I was because in so many ways I was, and people would tell me that they're like, Oh, Tara, you're their mom. Mm -hmm. But, but that's not, that's not helpful. That is not helpful because that contributed to me fighting to be a bio parent when that was just never going to happen. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say that, when I found Nacho Kids, this is kind of a funny story. So I was, I have a she shed, which we can go into later if if uh, that's where the conversation goes. But I was spending the night to myself. I was having a really hard time. And I Googled, what happens when you don't like your stepdaughter? And I was searching for a blog or some sort of confirmation that I wasn't alone. And I think the second link I came across was Nacho Kids. And I was like, what is this Nacho Kids thing? (laughs) And I started listening that night. I downloaded some podcasts. I was reading, you know, from your website and it was mind blowing. And I was like, wait a second. Of course, there are other people in the same situation. I just don't know anybody. Mm -hmm. And that was, that was a shift for us. And I, I'm so grateful. It has, I think it's saved our marriage. 
I really do. Well, I'm glad. I'm really glad. But this goes to show you that you can be considered mom by the kids even. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you consider them your kids because when you refer Mm -hmm. to them, you say, my youngest. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. you look at them as yours. Yeah. But you still needed a nacho. I still, you know, like you said at the beginning when we started talking and I gave you the ages of the girls and you said, oh, I mean, the teenage years are not for the faint of heart. I don't know why God decided to give us these teenage years, but (laughs) Lord, 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 they are intense. Yes. Well, it could be considered payback, (laughs) you know. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right. And and I think we do spend some time doing some self-reflection when we are raising teenagers to think to ourselves, was I this much of a jerk? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> was I this bad to my mom? Because, oh, this is rough. So do they talk to her a lot? Yeah. Um, so, I, you know, I don't know how often they talk to her. I would say... They probably have dinner with her about once a week. Okay. They may see her once every other weekend for like a few hours, but there's no, like I said, the sleepovers are a rare occasion. So yeah, it's very inconsistent. There's no, there's no schedule whatsoever. Yeah. And that's so hard. And then it is. You know, those poor kids, their mom's told them all this crap, like she doesn't want them or don't want to see them. Mm -hmm. And all they're wanting is her love. I know. I know. Have y'all talked to them about bipolar or do you know if their counselor or therapist does? Uh, Yes. Yeah, we've talked about it as a family. We've talked about it with a therapist. We've gone as a family to the therapist. And I'll tell you what, I don't know. I, I... I'll share this story. It's a vulnerable story, but I hope that it resonates with somebody else who maybe they've gone to a family therapy session. But I'll tell you what, it basically feels as a stepmom, like lining yourself up, you know, in those old Western movies where they're going to shoot you. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's, I basically felt like I was walking into the ring of fire because I thought, oh Lord, how are they going to attack me? You know, Mm -hmm. you know, it, it went well. There were some things that were really hard to hear, but we we can talk about bipolar with their therapist. We can talk, although in this particular session, we focus mostly on what their dad and I can do to kind of uh, give them more space. And and actually in that therapy session, I didn't use the words nacho kids because uh, obviously I don't I don't want them to feel like I'm I don't want them to take that the wrong way. All I told them was I am working on an online course right now that is all about giving you guys your own autonomy, your own space. And I'm here to love and support you and whatever you need, I will be there. Let whatever you need, whether it's schoolwork, you need a ride, you need food, you need whatever I am here, but I, I'm just going to be honest. I'm backing off and I'm going to let your dad be your dad and your mom be your mom. And I'm here as the bonus parent. And again, I will always be here, but I wanted them to know, like I'm taking a step back and 
and we've been better ever since I took a step back. Did they say anything when you first told them about it? Not really, but I think, you know how you can just kind of get a sense Mm -hmm. for how people, I mean, just like you talk about, like when you disengage for the first time with nachoing, you are looking for all of the, like, oh, are they noticing and how do they feel about this? And like, do they feel weird about it? Do they feel like I'm ignoring them? You know, you're kind of overly sensitive Mm -hmm. to how they might perceive it. Well, they're teenagers, so they are in their own worlds. But I can sense that just everything is just a little bit more peaceful. Yeah. And you said you noticed that fairly quickly. I did. I really did. And maybe it's my own peace of mind, too, because I think because like I mentioned earlier, it's almost like I felt like the bio mom. I felt like I was fighting to be their mom. Like I was, I was just like, well, if I just love them enough, if I just, it's really hard to put into words, but I think when I disengaged, it was so important for my mental health. And um, so I, it was definitely the right decision. You know, maybe eventually I'll be able to ask the girls how they feel about it, but I feel like I need to give it a little bit more time. Yeah. How long have you been not showing? So it's only been about two months. And your husband is on board with this. He is on board. And I'm so grateful for that. When I told him about Nacho Kids and shared the podcast and told him, hey, I really want to do this course with you. He was like, great. And I said, I think for the health of our marriage, we need to do this course together. We need to listen to these courses. Maybe, maybe we can't listen to them in the same room, but You'll listen to one at, you know, within a few days of me listening to one, and then we can come together and talk about it. Mm-hmm. So that's what we've been doing. And then I said, I'd really like you to get your own counselor and work with your counselor on the parenting that you're going to need to do to make this successful. Because if I'm stepping back, you have to step up. Right. And that has always been our struggle. And probably our biggest struggle in our marriage has always been co parenting. Um, because I have a very different parenting style than my husband does. Do you have kids? And I don't have any kids. Nope. So you think you would have a different parenting style than he has? <laughs> yes. Yes. Right. Yeah. We didn't talk yep. about that. You don't have any kids of your own. I don't have any kids of my own. No. Is that by choice? By choice. Yeah. Okay. In fact, I before I met my husband 10 years ago, I had already, I'd read some books. I had done some real contemplation and therapy about it. And I, I pretty much had decided that that's what I wanted. What I, I really was okay with no kids. Mm-hmm. So when I met my husband, we talked about that very early on. And, and luckily he was very content with having two daughters. So it worked out for our situation. Yeah, that's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I'm a very independent person. When we were discussing marriage, I had my own house. He had his own house. And I said, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know if we can get married because I'm not sure I want to give up my house. Like I, I feel this is a big part of my independence and I really need alone time and I, I need decompression time. And he said, well, who said you had to sell your house if we get married? And um, for me, that was, that was when I knew like, oh, I might be able to spend the rest of my life with this guy. Yeah. <laughs> 
so yeah, I've, I've always, I have a pretty modest um, townhouse that I call my she shed <laughs> and, and then we have the hours house. So I guess we could call it like the hours kids. We have the hours house mm-hmm. and that is big enough for all of us. And that's our family home. And then, and then I have my she shed. Now, how far is your she shed from your house? It's about 20 minutes. Okay. A little less. Mm-hmm. And we have a, a schedule where the girls know the nights that I'm going to be at the she shed, which is usually about two nights a week. Every once in a while, it'll change if their schedules change or every once in a while, if I'm like feeling sick and I'm like, I don't really feel like bringing this to the family or maybe even if they are really sick and I have something coming up and I'm not trying to get sick. So yeah, it's, it's actually a big part of why I think our relationship works. Right. So you've had that she shed the whole time. Mm -hmm. I have. Mm -hmm. Yep. And you don't rent it out. I don't rent it out, but it is open to all of my girlfriends, my family. I I I see what you're doing here. (laughs) Right. Right. It's, it's uh, and that, and that goes for any of the women on this podcast. If they need to get away to Florida for a she shed weekend, they can uh, reach out to me. So yeah, I keep it. I keep it open. I let friends stay here, family, and it is, it's a lifesaver. Yeah, I bet so. The other thing it lets me let go of is that when I'm at the hours house, the family house, if the floors aren't as clean as I'd like them, if things aren't put away exactly the way that I like them, I don't really worry about it because it's, it's our house, but it's not. At my she shed, everything is the way that I want it to be, right? Mm-hmm. Everything's perfect. And so it'll, it, well, and it may not be perfect, but it's the way that I want it. And so if I make a mess, it's my mess, right? Right. And so it, it allows me to be more comfortable at the, at the family house. Mm-hmm. And your husband has no problem whatsoever you saying, I'm going to stay at the she shed. Not at all. Nope. In fact, we have a pretty, we've been doing this for over 10 years. We have such an honest rapport about it that there, there have been a couple of times where he has said to me in the kindest way possible, you know, it sure would be great if you went and stayed at your she shed. I think because <laughs> we are, we are both introverts slash extroverts, you know, fall yeah. somewhere in the middle, but both need our alone time. Um, and so he, he enjoys his time to watch the movies he wants to watch and chill out in the bed by himself. And I think we can all relate to that. Yes, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think it's awesome. But now you just I, have to be careful not to take offense when he says that. That's right. That's right. And we, we've worked through some of that, I think. And I think it's good for the girls to have one-on-one time with their dad. 100%. Mm-hmm. And I know you've talked about that in your courses and on the podcast that there is nothing wrong with sometimes saying, you know what, why don't you guys do your own thing? And we'll, I'll, I'll go over here and do my own thing. Cause I don't mind being by myself or having a girl's night. I do that on the regular. So, right. It's very important for them, for your husband and for the kids, because they need that time alone to feel like they had that special bond. Yep. Yep. And, you know, my husband has always been their primary parent. 
Mm-hmm. He is their everything. They go to him for everything. And he really and truly is a good dad. And they need that time with their dad. Mm-hmm. Just them, where they don't have to worry about anybody else. They don't have to worry about what I'm thinking, what I'm doing. So I hope they see it that way someday, or maybe they already do. So Yeah, if they don't now, I'm sure they will. Because I know even now, mm-hmm. I like to go hang out with my dad sometimes by myself. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's not that I would talk about anything I wouldn't talk about in front of David. It's just, it's mm-hmm. always weird when you have a third person there sometimes. It's true. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. My husband says that about my parents. He's like, go see your parents. Just, just you. Just yeah. you. So <laughs> he's got the nicest way of saying, I don't want to go see your parents. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Right. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. So this is, this has truly been an important part of the success of our relationship. And, and I say that knowing that not, not everybody can make that work in their lives. And I think that's fine. I think that just communicating and knowing with your partner where, wherever your she shed is, it could be going for a walk. It could be going to your dad's house, spending time with just him. It could be um, taking yourself to a movie by yourself or, you know, there's so many ways you can get your alone time. In fact, I remember listening to a podcast. I think the woman was from New Zealand and she was talking about how she just would stay out of her house for like 16 hours a day. Yeah, she'd stay at work. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Or the library. <laughs> I, mean, I, guess, I guess that's one one way to she shed. So, you know, you can you can be creative and figure out what works for you. Yes. And not everybody can have the townhouse, but like you said, mm-hmm. it can be, I'm going to sit in mm-hmm. my office. I'm going to go mm-hmm. sit in Walmart parking lot. <laughs> right? You're going to have all these women sitting in Walmart parking lot. Right. But you can, for me, I don't physically have to leave, but I can paint my mm-hmm. ceramics mm-hmm. and it mentally helps me escape. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lock yourself in your bedroom for a little while and tell your husband to leave you alone for a minute. Yeah. You know, there's so many, there's so many ways to get your peace of mind. I mean, I love to go to yoga, go to find a yoga or a Pilates studio or a, or just have a really good girlfriend that you have a standing girls night with. Um, I've been lucky enough to have that too. That's really helpful. Mm -hmm. And it is very important. Like you said, to understand your partner, like him saying, it would be nice if you went to your, she shed, he's not saying anything mean or negative to you. No. Mm -mm. And I'm, I'm extremely introverted and I get it. And David's not. Mm -hmm. So Mm. it was an adjustment for him to understand, look, I'm going to take a nap and I'll actually Mm -hmm. say I'm going to chill because a lot of times Mm -hmm. I won't nap. I just Mm -hmm. will play on my phone without everybody Mm -hmm. around me. I just need Mm -hmm. that downtime. And it's not meaning anything negative to anybody. It's just, that's what I need for me Mm -hmm. to remain healthy. I couldn't agree with you more. And a lot of times I tell my husband, I'm going to meditate and I'll put on a a guided meditation. I mean, especially if, if the kids are like really getting on your nerves, there are some great free meditation apps. And I mean, ones where you can literally look up, I need a meditation for aggravation and I need 20 minutes to work on de-escalating my aggravation, you know? Mm -hmm. So I do that a lot too. Meditation is really, really helpful. Yeah, my mind goes too crazy. I've never been able to meditate. Yeah. Well, 
and I, nobody, nobody's good at it. That's, that's the thing you got to remember when you're slowly getting into it is you got to give yourself grace. Cause there are times where I meditate and I'm like, well, I got nothing out of that. <laughs> I was too busy thinking about what I'm making for dinner or what, you know, just, so you just have to give yourself grace with it. And kind of like, if you're going to lay down and chill and you're like, well, I might fall asleep. I might not fall asleep. And that's how I look at the meditation. Like I might get to a Zen state. I might not, but this at least is going to help calm my mind for a little bit. Right. Yes. Give you that downtime. Mm-hmm. Now, yep. does buy a mom I guess she's not in another relationship. She was. She was married for, uh, remarried for, uh, let's say, two or three years. And I would say those were the those were the peaceful years. Actually, that's when the girls actually, believe it or not, were they were spending fifty percent of their time with their mom. We had week on week off. Mm-hmm. Um, those were the years that I didn't necessarily have to pray so hard because. They liked their stepdad and it seemed like the environment was okay. But I I think it's very hard for someone with bipolar to maintain a healthy romantic relationship. Yeah. And so eventually that fell apart and that was really hard on the girls because they did really love their stepdad and they don't, they don't speak to him anymore. They have a lot of anger. So yeah, she's not remarried, or or at least not now. I, I you know, I don't really know. I, she's cycled through a lot of different relationships, and the girls have watched that. And I kind of wonder how that will shape uh, what they want in life from a romantic partner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we will we will see. Now, I want to back up a second. You didn't take offense mm-hmm. when I said about you were talking about your different parenting styles. And then I said, well, Mm -hmm. you don't have kids. So really Mm -hmm. you don't know what your parenting style would be. You think Mm -hmm. you know what it would be. Mm -hmm. I think that that's a fair statement. Uh, I mean, even my, my husband and I have super honest conversations about, I I think there, isn't there a saying that like, before you have kids, like you really know how to parent And (laughs) and then you have kids and then you have no idea. Right. Like, I, I think there's just something to be said for like, I think when they're, when you don't have biological kids, I have said to certain people, like, I feel like that biological switch just isn't turned on mm-hmm. in, in the same way that it might be if you were a woman to give birth. Right. Um, I've had other people say, well, I don't know about that, but man, there have been times where I'm like, I don't know if I'm cut out for this, but so to your point, yeah, I, you know, it's that's a that's a real gray area, I think. I think it's really tough to say either way, but I can understand from a bio mom perspective that a, a non-bio parent is going to have a different perspective on parenting just in general. Right. Yeah. If you did have a kid, you may parent exactly like you think you would. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know I don't parent like I thought I would. Mm, I'm not as strict on my son as I thought I would be. Yeah. A lot of that is guilty parent syndrome because my mom was extremely strict with us and I don't want Mm -hmm. to be like that with him. Mm -hmm. You know, my parents, my mom would put you on restriction. It wasn't a day. It was a month. Mm -hmm. You were Mm -hmm. always on restriction. Always. (laughs) (laughs) That's 
funny word to use too, restriction. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do they even use that anymore? I don't know. I think. I think they use grounded. Maybe grounded, but I feel like kids are just raised differently nowadays. And, and I've heard you and David talk about this too. Like there are so many kids that don't even have chores. I mean, I would say our girls have minimal, minimal chores. And I think the struggle that my husband and I have is I'm a little bit more old school in the sense that like, I feel like they should have some skin in the game. I feel like, you know what, if the floors are dirty and cleaning lady, or, or I mean, granted, we're, we're lucky we have a cleaning lady and she's wonderful, but like every once in a while, you got to clean up after yourself, you know, or, or. Yeah. She doesn't come every day. <laughs> she doesn't come every day. That's right. And, um, and so my thoughts are like, well, I think every once in a while they could chip in here and there. And my husband is just much more laid back about that and just kind of like, you know, whatever. They help, they help. If they don't, they don't. So that's where we kind of see things a little bit differently because I think it builds character to know how to clean a toilet. I think yes. you have to know how to clean a toilet. I think you have to know how to clean a bathroom correctly or the kitchen or and they do help out. They help out in the kitchen. They do their own laundry. Do I think that they could help out more? Absolutely. But with nachoing, it's allowed me to just take a step back and say, Bill, you talk to your therapist about, my husband's name is Bill, it, you know, talk to your therapist about what you think is reasonable for chores for the girls or no chores. Right. That's now your decision. And I'm going to just sit back and um, I'm going to do my own thing. Yeah. And did he talk to his therapist about that? Do you know? Yeah. In fact, I think I had listened to, to, I don't know, one of your podcasts or your courses. And I said, before his latest session, I said, can we sit down just the two of us and talk about a few things that (laughs) you might want to talk to your therapist about (laughs) and get his perspective on it so that you and I don't fight about this and we can hear his, his honest perspective. So he has a male therapist that I have even been in session with. Super nice guy, former Marine, great husband, great father. So mm-hmm. he's not going to pull any punches on my husband. When my husband says, well, the girls don't really have any chores. I'm pretty sure the therapist is going to say, well, let's talk about that. <laughs> you know, let's, let's, um, let's talk about what might be important for their development. Right. So. And that's the thing is so many bio parents feel like that the step parent is trying to punish the kids by making them do chores. Mm -hmm. But it is important to know how to do your laundry, Mm -hmm. how to clean a toilet, like you said, Mm -hmm. how to even fix a washing machine when the water's not coming out right. That's right. And, like you said, kids are raised differently today. It's almost it's almost like we don't want our kids to have to have responsibility. Yeah. And I don't know why why we've gone so extreme. Um, I'm not really sure. Yeah, we had chores every day growing up. Every day. Mm. It didn't matter how much schoolwork you had or anything like that. You had chores every day. Mm-hmm. My son, no, he doesn't have chores. Mm-hmm. But I do fuss every once in a while. I'm like, I'm the only one that does dishes around here. 
<laughs> These aren't yeah. my dishes. I haven't eaten anything all day, and now here I am doing dishes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I have a I have a strict policy, or maybe we have a strict policy that like if I cook dinner, I'm not doing dishes. And it, actually, I've had the girls call me out on it before, and I I said to them, "Oh, that's interesting. Because did you cook dinner? Because like if you didn't cook dinner, then you're doing the dishes, right?" And that's just, that's just not my problem. Mm-hmm. So I, I just, and, and if they want to cook dinner, then I'll gladly do the dishes. You know, I, I think just teaching them the give and take and that yeah. they do have to contribute. So one person doesn't feel like they're doing everything. Right. Now I will right. say my son has washed his own clothes since he was 11. Mm-hmm. So he's always done his own laundry. That's good. His dishes, he'll rinse them when he puts them in the sink. I really don't mm-hmm. want him to put them in the dishwasher because he wouldn't pay attention if they're clean or dirty. And sometimes it's right. hard to tell. And yep. so I don't want him to mix those. And I don't want him putting up dishes because I have this weird thing about the dishes have to be 100% dry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because if you stack a wet cup and another mm-hmm. cup, guess what's going to happen? Yeah, mold. Yes, and stinky. Mm-hmm. And stinky. And stinky. Mm-hmm. And so some things I would just rather do myself to make Mm -hmm. sure it's done the way I want it to be done. Mm -hmm. And David and I laugh because he loads the dishwasher backwards. Mm -hmm. That's what I say he does anyway, which I guess I'm doing it backwards versus him. When I put the bowls in, Uh the bowl part that you put your cereal in faces me. Right. Okay. He does it the other way. Mm Mm-hmm. It drives me crazy. I have to move them. <laughs> I don't get mad. I just move yeah. them. Yeah. 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 We all have our things. We do. Yeah. And we have to learn to compromise. Yep. Yep. For sure. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yep. Now, you had something happen to you two and a half years ago. That's right. Mm-hmm. What happened? Yeah. So, um, actually, it's important to give this context. In that the I had met, I had shared the story about the girls' bio mom dropping them off a couple weeks before Christmas and saying, "I don't want anything to do with you. I don't want to have Christmas with you." And you know that was a moment where we really, um, gosh, we all cried together. We held each other, and it really, on a positive note, did make us come together. Mm-hmm. But the pain was palpable for all of us. And I think a lot of women can relate to internalizing pain like that and, yes. and feeling like, well, maybe if I just take on this pain from this person, maybe I can somehow alleviate this pain. Mm-hmm. Fast forward about a month and I found a lump in my right breast and went to see my doctor about it, who immediately ordered my mammogram, which was important because I hadn't turned 40 yet. And Mm -hmm. so, as you know, you're not, they don't order one until you're 40. So it's great that I did catch it myself. Right. And, and so then you go through a series of, you know, between the mammogram and then you have an awful biopsy and fast forward, you have to, you have to wait a few weeks before you find out the news. And those few weeks were agonizing. But I think I knew, I knew when the doctor called me and said, can you be at my office in an hour? 
because it was a Friday late afternoon and my biopsy results had finally come in. And um, my husband and I drove as quickly as we could to get to her doctor's office to hear that the awful news that I had breast cancer. Right. And you're thinking, why can't you tell me on the phone? <laughs> well, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I know they I, really want yeah. to be able to be there supportive and things like that. Yeah. I think it worked out that we went in person. Yeah. But I, but there are some, everybody's different, right? Everybody mm-hmm. wants, some people are just like, you know, give it to me straight, doc. Just, yeah. you know, tell me over the phone. So anyways, that led to um, all the things starting out with surgery to remove the tumor, having a lumpectomy about a month after I was diagnosed. And then I went right into chemo a month later and then, uh, and then radiation. So I had the full, I ran the full gamut. Oh my gosh. And I will tell you that telling my daughters that I had breast cancer will, um, will always be one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. Um, because that's, that's the thing about being diagnosed with something awful is that of course you feel sorry for yourself, but you also feel sorry for the pain that you know, your family members are going to go through too. Right. So it's a double-edged sword on that. Yeah. And um, even if you do survive the pain of them watching you go yeah. through the treatments. Yeah. That's yep. not easy. It was awful. And it was at a time when when their mom wasn't in the picture, which made it, you know, even that much harder. We were dealing with all of these feelings that that we all had about their mom bailing. And and then on top of it, oh, by the way, then let's deal with some chemo too. Um yeah. so I wouldn't wish that on my on my worst enemy. But I, I will say, like, my family was there for me. The girls were there for me. It was an awful situation. But, you know, not to sound too trite, but, you know, the things that don't kill us make us stronger. And I'm sure that they have their feelings about what it was like to kind of go through that with me. And I, I think that it's important to talk about this because one in eight women will be diagnosed with breast cancer. And um, we're recording this in October during Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And we paint everything pink and we turn it into this. I say it's the sexy disease. I mean, um, jokingly. (laughs) Yeah. But the truth is that it it affects so many women. Just think about eight of your friends and you'll you'll realize the harsh reality. And so I I bring I want to bring this up because it's so important that you are checking yourself. And I have had so many friends come to me and say, I went and got my mammogram because of you. Mm -hmm. Or I went and got checked because of you. Mm -hmm. Um, I decided early on when I was from the very moment I was diagnosed to be really open and honest about the the good, the bad, and the ugly through social media. And so my close friends just, there was just no way I could update everybody on how I was feeling. So my strategy was like, well, I'm just going to put it out here on social media and you can take it or leave it. And if you want to know how I am, 
I'm probably going to tell you. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and I had, yeah. I had so much support. That is so good. Yeah. My mom so, had breast cancer. Yeah. She had the um, mastectomy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And luckily, she didn't have to go through the chemo and radiation. Good. Mm-hmm. But I saw how it affected her. Mm-hmm. And with her having breast cancer, she had a small support system. Mm-hmm. I don't think she was as open about it as you are or were. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But with her having breast cancer, it increases my risk dramatically. Mm-hmm. So I'm considered high risk. Mm-hmm. And I had the genetic testing done because my mom never did. We don't know. And she's mm-hmm. passed away. And I had the genetic testing done and I don't have the BRCA genes, mm-hmm. which is great. Mm-hmm. But I do see an oncologist and she still recommends that I get these MRIs once a year and six months later do the mammogram. She said, because of the familia relation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I said, but the genetic testing shows I don't have the BRCA gene. She mm-hmm. said, but we're not talking genetics. We're talking the familia link. And I'm like, is that not the same? Well, and what I will say about that, what the misnomer is, the first thing people ask you when you've been diagnosed with breast cancer is, oh, well, did you have a family member that had it? Is it genetic? Right. And the truth is that over 50% of breast cancers are not genetic. In fact, I mean, now I have a community of breast cancer survivor friends, and so many of us have no history. Mm -hmm. So we can't take it for granted that just because you haven't had cancer, you know, in your family system, that does not mean you are immune to the disease. And one of my best friends jokingly said to me, you're the healthiest person I know with cancer. You you know, I was growing my own kale at the time. She's like, you're the only one. I know that like, you know, what are the chances? But so that's the thing, like it can happen to any of us. And I, I just, I just say it to remind everybody that when they tell you to self-check, you really should self-check. And if the other thing I will say is if there's anything, if your gut tells you that anything feels off or you feel different or something, something just doesn't feel right. Don't put it off. Yes. Because even, I think I found my lump, if I remember correctly, two months before I actually went in for a doctor's appointment. I found it and then life happened. And it wasn't like I made a conscious choice, like, oh, I'm just, I'm just not going to worry about that. I think I just literally forgot about it. Right. Until I found it the second time. And I was like, oh, oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. I've got to take care of this. Yes. And so I just think it's so important if I can help one person go get their mammogram or go get the genetic testing or whatever it is. I think, I think your doctor is spot on by doing the, the rotating mammogram. Mm -hmm. And you said the MRI, is that right? Yes. Because there are things that a mammogram can't catch. And that's the other reason why self-exams are so important because there are things that you can catch yourself that, that a mammogram will not. So. Yeah. It is. It is. 
I, I think you're totally doing the right thing and it's better to be cautious. And I remember when I was diagnosed, my doctor said to me, just so you know, you're not going to die from this. And what she meant by that is when you catch breast cancer early and you can remove it the way that I had it removed, or in other cases, you know, women choose to have a mastectomy and that was a choice for me. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, if you, if you stop it, if you catch it early, then it won't spread. The thing that, that might kill you is not catching it early and it spreads to your other organs. Right. And then, and, and I've, I have close friends that are dealing with that now. And that's, that's a battle. That's a battle. I don't want any woman to have to fight. Right. One of the things that we could say that Nacho helps with regarding when you go get a mammogram and they find something mm-hmm. is the thought process. Mm. Are you going to let that thought spiral mm. or are you going to kind of tame it while you're waiting for those results? Mm. And I've had many doctors tell me this stress, 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 stress. Oh, hundred percent. Causes your body not to be able to fight things off like they normally would. Oh, definitely. And, you know, so, and that's why I put my story in context to what what was happening with my family. I don't think we can ever blame or tie one thing to why we are diagnosed with an illness, especially one like cancer that's so complicated. Yeah, you can't blame it on your stick kids. (laughs) You can blame it on bio mom if you want. (laughs) Right, right. But I have had those thoughts. I, you know, I've, I even was doing a meditation one time that was specifically on breast cancer. And the meditation was talking about how when we over mother, that affects the right side of our body, the right breast. And I thought, well, if this woman hasn't just totally described what I've been doing, I don't know, you know. And so anyways, what what it has taught me is that I do have to control my stress and I do have to control how I take on other people's pain. And I do have to control. I'm a big empath. Yes, I know. I know you are. I could tell. (laughs) Same here. I have to protect my energy. You have to protect your energy. You can't. Let if you, I mean, this is this is how we tie it all back into nacho parenting. We have to step back when things are too stressful, too difficult, and they're not working. Mm-hmm. We have to take a step back and say, okay, what are we going to do differently? Right. And I did that with my entire life. After being diagnosed with cancer, I was like, well, something's not right here. Let me reassess my entire life. And I reassessed my job. I reassessed my relationships, my priorities. It made you um, look at things was, differently for sure. Oh yeah. I will ne- I mean it ch- it changed to who I was to without trying to sound too cliché, but I think I think that hopefully it's helped me even be a better step parent. I'm um, sure it has because it's changed your perspective. Mm-hmm. You yep. were you were told that you had something that could change your life forever and it Mm -hmm. made your mortality Mm -hmm. real. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And there is nothing that sifts your priorities the way that something like that will. And I, I will say I am so clear on 
what is most important. And I'm so lucky to have my husband and my stepdaughters. They are my family. And you love them. And I love them. I do. I, I tell them that. I tell them that for a while they wanted my husband and I to have an hour's kid. And I would say to them, like, but you, but then we'd have to, sh- you know, you'd have to share time with us and you're, you're our kids and like, we love you. And, mm-hmm. you know, so we would, we would just kind of um, keep it lighthearted and tell them like, no, we want to focus on, on the two of you. And so I, I do feel very lucky as someone who has chosen not to have their own bio kids. I am so lucky um, that I don't ever have to question why I didn't have kids. Cause I, cause I did, I, I have two you, bonus. You got kids. them. Yeah. Yep. So, well, I do want to say two things before we wrap up. Mm-hmm. First of all, I know way too many people recently that have started having pain. They mm-hmm. blow it off as, Oh, I'm getting older. Then mm-hmm. the next thing you know, they finally go to the doctor six months later and they're eat up with cancer. Mm-hmm. Do not be afraid to go to the doctor if your back is hurting. Mm-hmm. If your back is hurting for more than a week, go to the doctor. That's right. If your legs are hurting all of a sudden a different way than they normally hurt, go to the doctor. Because I have seen people that, honest to God, they will get diagnosed and they're dead within two weeks. Mm. Because it has already eaten them up. Yeah. Yep. You're not wrong. And there's also something that helped me when I first had to have the MRI done because they are very expensive. And at the time, uh, my insurance wouldn't cover like any of it. I was on a different Mm -hmm. insurance. Christina Applegate has a foundation that gives financial aid for Mm. necessary breast MRIs. Mm. Love that resource. That's great. So um, it helped me a lot very much much financially to not have that stress yes. on there because it just so happened it was um, after I had to quit working for corporate and started Nacho Kids full time. So it was mm. one of those, oh, great. I shouldn't have left corporate world. But yep. so there are things out there to help you with that and the cost. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And there, there are just, there's so many resources out there just in general. And that's why that's why I, I would be happy to help anybody who, who needs help navigating breast cancer or even, the like you said, that waiting period between the tests that you take and getting the results. Um, it's, it's the worst. I don't, I don't even have words to describe what that's like. You just need to surround yourself with supportive people that will hold your hand and sit in that uncomfortable space. Right, um, because you don't want to spiral. But at the same Mm time, I'm all about positive thinking. Mm -hmm. But sometimes in cases like that, you have to force yourself to think positive. You have Mm -hmm. to force yourself to not go down the, oh, let me go ahead and start cleaning out my closet. Mm -hmm. You know, because I know when I had to wait, that's where my mind went. Oh, crap. Yeah. If I die yeah. now, David and Jackson would be so upset with all the crap they'd have to go through. <laughs> right, right. So yeah. I started going through stuff. Uh, but it's hard yeah. not to have those thoughts. And it's really good that to have people like you that are so supportive and willing to help other women that are going through that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's a lot. It's it's a lot. And it's and then it and then once you are diagnosed, it's a lot financially. So 
even to your point about the resources out there, I would, I would be happy to help anybody navigate that. Um, in fact, I had friends that set up a, you know, basically a GoFundMe during my treatment to help uh-huh. me pay for the mounting bills. And then I was able to, to pay forward some of the extra money my friends made and then even set something up for another friend who later came to me when she went through her cancer journey. So, you know, people want to help you and they don't know how. And so they send you bracelets and blankets and, and all of that is well intended and, and kind and all of the things. But I think it's important if you do have someone in your life that's going through something like that to actually ask them what they need. Yes. Because they might, they might need, rather than you spending $20 on a, a breast cancer bracelet, they might need that $20 to pay their co-payment to go to the doctor that month, you know? Right. Yes. So, so I, I just put that out there that it's all well-intended, but I think it's important to really think about what people really need. Yeah. Now I also, when my mom found out she had breast cancer, I immediately went and bought a cancer policy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So basically, good for you. You know, if I had to go to the doctor, every time you have to go to the doctor, if you have breast cancer or any kind of cancer, mm-hmm. they pay you a hundred dollars or you know what I mean. It's it's something mm-hmm. to help with that thing. And I'm going to think I pay ten dollars a month. That's great. So it's I believe people can definitely be overinsured mm-hmm. with stuff, and I hate insurance in general. Mm-hmm. But I just felt like that was kind of a smart decision to make for ten bucks mm-hmm. a month. Absolutely, yes. I think so. I think you nailed it and got really lucky. Yeah, that you get you got in early on that. Yes. Yeah. Well, Tara, I cannot tell you how good it has been to talk to you. We've talked about so much. <laughs> I know. I feel like we're we're fast friends here. Yes. Well, what is one piece of advice that you would give our listeners? Mm in regards to blending or what the best advice you've received is? Oh, gosh. Um, I I think I would just say that, there, you know, there isn't a one size fits all. And and you also have to be, every everybody's situation is different. And I recently was very vulnerable uh, with some friends about um, not showing and they know my story. They know that I'm kind of the primary female bonus parent. And they were, they just couldn't understand it. They were like, no, those girls, you know, they need you and they need the structure and the discipline and all the things. And I'm like, oh, they just don't get it. And I, you know, I just, I just let them think what they are going to think. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. They love me and I love them. Yep. But they don't know my story and they don't know my struggle. And, um, and so I think we just have to be, you know, give everybody a little bit of grace. Everybody has a different way of dealing with things. For me, this has been life-changing. I think it's going to save my marriage. It's going to give me a better relationship with my stepdaughters. It already has. This works for me. And I'm not going to let anybody uh, tell me differently. Right. So Because they're not living it. They're not living it. Yep. So do what works for you. And you know, hopefully you have a supportive spouse that will do it along with you. Right. Well, thank you again. And come back and be a guest in a couple of years and let us know how things are going with the stepkids because you've got one that's 18 and one that's 15. So they'll mm-hmm. both be adults in a few years. That's wild to think about. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. It would be my pleasure. Thank you so much, Lori. 
Thank you. And you have a great day. You too. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast and that you are having a great day. And come back and join us next week. And remember, life is good when you nacho. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Nacho Kids Podcast. Find us online at nachokids.com. Until next time, remember, life is good when you nacho.